And so it's through the pain that God cultivates the fullness of his promise in our lives. And so uh, I would tell myself to take the big steps of faith and don't, don't be surprised and don't run from the pain. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 126 of the Between You and Me podcast. This is a place where we talk to music makers about the things that hurt, heal, and change us in church culture. My name is Jessica Morris. I'm an Australian music journalist, and every episode it's my privilege to host conversations that hopefully bring us together, that cultivate healing, that are honest, so you feel like you're having a coffee or a drink with a friend. Today's guest is a little out of the box from what we normally do because Justin Kendrick isn't a musician. Okay, well, he is. Just go with me on this. He was actually part of a band called Out of Hiding, if you remember them, from 2011. But Justin is a pastor of a church, Vox Church, in New Haven, Connecticut, and he recently released a book called The Sacred Us. Now, I know you're thinking pastor, book, same old, same old, right? Evangelical culture. But what's really compelling about Justin and the book is that it's actually not about him. It's about community and how to do life, Um, what it means to do church and like just life with people in in the really messy way that it is. Um, Church is complicated. Some of us go to it, some of us don't. We sort of figure out what it looks like for us. And what I really appreciated about Justin is uh, that he's not seeking celebrity or fame, but he's just sharing a little bit of what he's learnt and that he and his family and his community have lived this out in a really organic, messy, but beautiful way. We will all know that community is messy, let's be honest, and, and seeking to do that in an authentic way that actually is like Jesus and loves people and honors people at the same time um well it's it's what we're called to do but it's not necessarily what's always done so what i like about justin and the premise of his book is is that it's calling a church to be something i would say better than what it currently is in many ways and it's calling us to be authentic fun people who love each other who love and include people i mean for me that's a church i want to go to i currently go to a church and i find that there but that That's what drew me to this. The music you're going to be hearing through this is hand-selected by me. You're welcome, as opposed to normally, but... (laughs) I mean, I always choose the music, but this time you don't just get Justin Kendrick music, right? So I've pulled a couple of tracks from his old band, Out of Hiding, but I've also hand-selected some songs uh, that I'm loving right now that are about community. Um, So I hope you enjoy it. Now, before we get there, I know you've been waiting for an episode for a couple of weeks, and you're probably like, Jessica, where's Leland? You promised us Leland, then when Leland didn't come through on social media, you promised us another episode and what's going on? Yes, you're correct. And one for anyone who ever thought, Jessica, you said that Leland is from New Zealand. They are not. They're from Texas. You are 100% correct. How did I get New Zealand and Texas mixed up? Seriously, people, like, what is this? Anyway, yes, Leland and interview I actually had after that, both of them, scheduling didn't sync up, so... I do have a rescheduled interview with Leland and I do have a rescheduled interview with Matt Redman coming up. I would have loved to have brought you them sooner, but life, right? So today you get to hear from Justin Kendrick and I feel like this is a really important and timely episode for any of us who are trying to figure out what the heck 
living like Jesus with other Christians looks like in 2022. You're about to hear a short bio, the who, what, when, where, why of Justin Kendrick and his book, The Sacred Us, and then we'll get right into it. Enjoy. When it comes to intentional community, New England-based pastor and author Justin Kedrick knows firsthand what it means to create, live in and minister to a diverse group of people. Now I know that the first thing you think of when I say pastor is what megachurch does this guy come from and who are his sponsors? But please put any negative preconceptions aside when it comes to Justin and his book The Sacred Us because his church community, Vox Church, began in 2011 as a community movement where Justin, his family and a small group of friends wanted to love and serve in the community of New Haven, Connecticut. Now, New Haven is the home base of Yale University. It is tiny and tucked between New York City and Boston. I was once there for a week and it was beautiful, but freezing. It is one of the most unchurched areas of America and Vox Church sought to show people Christ with the goal of it becoming the most spiritually vibrant area in the US. Since then, Vox Church has blossomed to have nine locations along the Northeast and across different timelines, they've actually had people living together in the same house, community development style, and they have navigated the highs, the messy lows, the pain and the joy of loving like Christ together. Now, all of Justin's learnings are now in his book, The Sacred Us. And aside from the fact that the book cover doesn't actually have his face on it, which is something worth noting purely because it's so common, right, in evangelical circles, Justin actually pulls out seven key lessons he continues to learn about what it means to create, cultivate, and live in Christian community, aka church, whatever that looks like for you. Now, the presser for The Sacred Us book is compelling. The book is released by David C. Cook, who also runs Integrity Music, and the presser highlights, and I quote, seven Bible-based principles that explore the substance of Christ-centered community, proximity that provides opportunity, vulnerability that creates connection, discipleship that sets direction, fun that amplifies grace, mission that drives adventure, sacrifice that matures love, and boundaries that sustain growth, end quote. That was a lot. I had to catch my breath, but I hope that you picked up the words proximity, opportunity, vulnerability, substance, connection, discipleship, grace, adventure, sacrifice, and mature love and boundaries. They're all things that I want in a Christian community that I attend, all things I want in my life, which makes me think that the sacred does is something important to offer us. Now, fun fact, Justin didn't just begin learning these principles in his church. He was actually a musician way back when, and he was part of the band Out of Hiding, which had some success back in the day and are best known for their 2011 single, Overcome. Now, there is no doubt that evangelical Christianity is being refined and defined in the United States, but what does it look like for us to love and follow Jesus while also doing Christ-centered community? Is it possible? And is it possible for it to be healthy? In The Sacred Us, Justin impresses on us that the reality of church isn't actually about being comfortable or with like-minded people, but is a safe space for people of different backgrounds and stories to come together with authenticity, fun, and a servant heart. Friends, I was so impressed with how Justin and his family have lived out the truth of the gospel with their whole lives. And we discussed how, as a leader and our influencer, he and his church have set up accountability measures so that fame, money, and sex is never the end goal for him. Loving people like Jesus in the city of New Haven is. And if we can happen to learn something from this book along the way, then I'll take that. Friends, I'm really excited for you to meet Justin, a musician, come pastor, come author, now come friend of the Between You and Me family. This is Justin Kendrick. So Justin Kendrick, welcome to Between You and Me. Jessica, thanks for having me. I'm honored to be here. Let's get started. 
Who is Justin Kendrick for people who have never met you before? Sure. Yeah, I'm a lot of things. Uh, certainly, first, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a lover of Jesus and uh, uh, a Christ follower. I'm a husband. I'm a dad. I'm a pastor, a uh, church planter, and I'm an author. And so those are a few things I am. But, um, but first and foremost, yeah, just one who has experienced the love of Christ in a way that's changed me. Yeah. You did that so succinctly. Nice work, because there is so much to every part of that description. <laughs> um, your latest book is The Sacred Us. Yes. Which I love the title and the cover. It caught my attention straight away. Um, can you tell us about the book and what actually led to you choosing to pull your time and energy into writing this? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think I think uh, a lot of people, both those that are connected to church or believe in God, and those that those that do not, are at a crossroads right now. I think that you know across the nation and across the world, honestly, there is an awareness of the fact that something we're doing in regards to community and relationship and friendship is broken. And uh, I think for a lot of people, they're realizing, hey, my my relationships are pretty shallow and they're pretty few. And I don't know how to make real relationship. I don't know how to be a part of a community. I don't know how to build real friendship. And I think we've taught ourselves that that's not necessary in life, that that's sort of a secondary thing. But what I challenge in the book is just this idea that that's actually not the way that God designed us. And it's not the, what God intended, but that relationship was always supposed to be not something that was peripheral to our lives, but something that was absolutely essential to life itself. And so if that's true, how do we build these deeper relationships? And so um, this has really come out of the guts of my life, Jessica, really. And like, you know, just like uh, don't at all pretend to have the corner on this, but through some pretty intense experimentation over the last 25 years, um, me and this community that I've been a part of have learned a lot of powerful truths about what does it mean to build a community that is built around Jesus, but also uh, each other. And so that's what the book is. It's a collection of those principles. Yes, I love that. I can imagine, actually, no, I can't imagine how challenging it has been to live it and learn it. I know that a huge part of this is the creation of, now is it Vox Church? Is that how you say it? It is. Perfect. So can you tell me about how that church started and actually yeah. how that those experiences link into this book. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, when I was in college, I felt a deep co commitment to Jesus to build uh, authentic community. Right. So what does it look like to really practice my faith in the context of others? And that that came from this idea that we can't know God, you know, like we grew up, I grew up in this this uh, environment that says, hey, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus, which is awesome. You do. But so much of the personal relationship with Jesus needs to be flushed out in personal relationships with others. And so this idea that is constantly throughout the New Testament that we are the body of Christ, right, means that somehow Paul even goes on to say that we belong to each other. So somehow like Christians belong to one another. And in a culture that really, you know, kind of champions individualism and autonomy, 
the, the idea that I belong to somebody else is a little uncomfortable. Right. And so even in college, just wrestling with that idea. And, um, I started uh, a small home with first, there was just four guys and, um, two bedroom apartment. And within the, the year we, we ended up with nine guys in a two bedroom apartment and just started experimenting with what does it look like to grow as Christians in community. From there, I graduated college, got married and uh, bought a multifamily house. And my wife and I had eight people living in that home with us. And I know this sounds like a crazy Christian hippie commune. So I'm not saying everybody has to do that. But um, then some of our best friends bought a house about a block away. They had nine people living with them. Um, As we felt this compelling conviction to start a church, really realizing that the local church is God's structure for community. And that even though it even though it needs to be organic, organic can still be organized. And we can talk more about that. But we realized, hey, we're going to kind of officially start a church. And when we did that, we bought a second house in our neighborhood. Now, this is not like out in the woods. This is in the urban core of New Haven, Connecticut, where Yale University is right between Boston and New York. It's a very urban environment. We're right in uh, a city center. And so um, we got a second house in that area. Um, had a couple people come in, live with us, and then our friends bought another house. And before you know it, within the course of a year and a half, we had 12 houses in this neighborhood. And uh, and we used to joke and call it the cul-de-sac because like we weren't a cult, but people sure thought we were weird because we were literally like leading an urban development project. Like we were transforming an entire neighborhood, uh, fixing up houses, uh, serving each other, massive like meals on a weekly basis in people's backyards. And all through this process, just learning like, hey, how do we create number one, healthy boundaries? We weren't like sharing our bank accounts, you know, but at the same time, like actually create access because we live in a world where, where we really don't create access. We actually build our whole lives so that people can't get to us, you know, and and, and so we said, okay, Jesus's model to change the world was to live with 12 guys every day. And so if that really is the model, how do we stretch the boundaries of sort of Western autonomy and uh, practice this in a life-giving way? And so we did this um, for 15 years and um, it grew and grew and it continued to expand over that time. And, um, and it continues to this day, that, that little urban neighborhood that we built has now stretched out and people from that neighborhood have started churches. So we have, our church has nine locations across New England um, in two different states in the United States. Um, and and those all came out of this, this experiment. And so it, it kind of all started on this one little incubation center um, years ago and has, has grown out from there. And now those little communities are sprouting up all over the place in our church environment. So, you know, we're all for, we're all for the gathering. We love Sunday morning. I preach the Bible. We sing songs. It might look like a contemporary kind of, you know, typical church on the outside, but then there's this undercurrent that's really the life of the church. And that is the neighborhoods and the living rooms and the dinner tables of our community that are fueling the life transformation that happens through the gospel. So um, that's kind of how the church started. And that's, that's how this idea of community started. And, you know, it's been uncomfortable the entire way. Um, And, and it is, it is, but it's also been incredible. And so we're still in the process, but that's a little snapshot of the journey.
spoke the word in the light, chased away the darkness, did the same for my soul. You split the seas, came for me, you keep every promise, your purpose will unfold. Even the rocks cry out, even the mountains bow, all creation shouts your name. To use the same word, incredible. I love that. Um, that sounds like a beautiful, true form of church. Yep. Like you must have to work so hard to be healthy because any community does, but that is just beautiful. I, I spent a very, very small time in New Haven. Um, okay. So, um, yeah, literally to visit a friend who worked at Yale. That's but, all right. At least but, you but, came but you're, by. Yeah, you're, you're, you're like describing it. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is huge there. Like, like community church, like that's mind blowing in that environment. It is. Yeah. And you know, it is, you're right. Like in, in the book, I have a whole chapter on how boundaries sustain growth because, you know, like I'm not, there, there are elements of community that you can't like uh, formalize or require, right? Like we don't make people move into houses with other people. That's, that's not, that's not necessary necessarily. Um, but, and there are boundaries that each of us need to sustain growth, but we also need to be willing to be made uncomfortable. And until we really give people access to some of the um, unpolished parts of our lives, we'll never really develop deeper friendships. And so the book is really a challenge to, to pull back the veil and engage in a level of vulnerability that maybe as Christians, we've not been willing to do. How have you experienced the benefits of that in your own personal life because you're the pastor of this community but you were also a participant in it yes yeah wow so um i'll tell you one story that kind of talks about the benefits so a number of years ago uh, my wife and i we sold our two houses in the urban center there and uh, and we bought a house about 15 minutes away and when we made that transition, it was sort of a, a weird moment for the church, be, for us, really, because we had been so surrounded. Literally, at that point, every one of our neighbors on every side was now a part of our church. And and so it was just this, you know, it was wild. Um, and and we felt like it was the time to, to take uh, uncomfortable community to a new level, and we became foster parents. And so um, we went through the training and we opened up our lives to uh, um, to become foster parents. And we ended up being connected with a, a three-day-old baby girl who, um, it's a long story, but we ended up adopting. And so we have our three sons, and then um, we have um, a, a daughter who is of a different race, of a different background. Her mom has you know a severe battle with drugs. Her dad is currently in prison. And we're now deeply connected with her biological family that um, we're still connected to, in contact with, 
with our family. And so we're over their house. We're, uh, you know, do, doing holidays, staying connected. And, and so our daughter has this very blended, very complicated uh, family. And, you know, when she came home with us, she was, um, she was, you know, withdrawing from, uh, from drugs that had been a part of her system through, through the pregnancy. And, and the process was brutal. And we thought, man, have we taken, have, you know, we're, we're leading a large church. We're, we're doing all the things that ministry does. Have we taken this intentional community thing too far here? We literally brought home with us our city. I mean, this, this girl was born in our city and, and it, she's not from some other part of the world. She's from our, our hometown. And, and so anyways, it was, it was complicated for a long time. Now, fast forward three and a half years, uh, she is a brilliant, thriving, life-giving, joy-filled little girl. And, you know, this morning I walked into our bedroom and, and Thea, our daughter was with my wife, you know, giving her butterfly kisses, you know, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and it just like, I, I, in a moment, I saw the whole story in my mind. You know what I mean? And it was just like, wow. Um, Mother Teresa said that there's a paradox in love, right? That if you love until it hurts, there can be no more hurt, only more love. And I think that's one of the most incredible truths about community, that if you will love until it hurts, you'll find that the hurt doesn't multiply. Instead, the love multiplies. And I think if we've learned that anywhere, we've learned it through becoming foster parents and really literally bringing our city and the problems of our city home with us and then extending our family beyond our biological sphere uh, in a way that's been difficult and uncomfortable and complicated and beautiful. And so I would say that's one example of personally how um, intentional community has just rocked our world and and made us better and uh, brought so much joy uh, into our lives. Oh, I'm just so happy Thea is like officially, officially, officially your daughter now. It's just And that's a journey fun. too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, that was two and a half years of Was that uh, through COVID? Yeah. So we we became foster parents before COVID and she was assigned with us. And then we ended up the adoption was finalized during COVID. Yeah. We we went to a courtroom on Zoom. <laughs> and and uh and that's how the adoption became final. So, it, but it was over two year process. Yeah. Something is changing in the air. Something is rising all around us. She steps out to face the world A bride who knows how much she is worth And everywhere the words are family is incredible they are they put up with a lot of craziness and uh and it's 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 beautiful it really is honestly it's beautiful 
You mentioned um, that amazing quote by Mother Teresa about when when we love so much, eventually the hurt, I'm paraphrasing, becomes more love, essentially. Yep. I love that. What I'm curious about is that we have lots of listeners who have experienced church hurt or um, abuse in churches, um, and I know that what you're referring to is a bit different to that. But That's right, yeah. For people who have gone through church and have perhaps left or have a really complicated relationship with what they think church community is, what would you say to them? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, um, first, I would say it's real, right? And so I don't want to minimize um, the pain. I think that I think that spiritual leaders hold a very uh, important and delicate place in our lives. And I think, um, you know, James said, let not many of you become teachers, uh, for you'll incur stricter judgment. And I think that I think some of the some of the, you know, just struggle and collapse of the last number of years within the church is is that stricter judgment that God is really um, dealing with some of the underbelly of church that's been unhealthy. And so that's real. And so I think, yeah, processing that um, in multiple levels, personally, as a, you know, with a counselor, with community, I think that that needs to happen for those that have suffered. And I think that I have a lot of empathy, you know, I think in my, my own story and I've had leaders and pastors really fail me and hurt me. And so I, I, even as a, as a pastor, like I've, I've lived that, um, even before I was in leadership at a church. So I think that that's very real. I also think that, uh, somewhere along the line, we started thinking about church in a way that's not accurate. And so let me explain that. What I mean by that is, um, you know, Jesus tells the story of the great banquet feast where he invites all those to attend and people don't come, right? They don't come for different reasons. In Luke chapter 14, I bought a house, I got married, i building my business, I can't come. And so then he describes um, the people who do come, right? And he says, get the poor, get the blind, get the lame, go to the highways and hedges and compel them to come. And what he's describing there is he's describing the church. Uh, the church is a group of derelicts. The church is a mess. It is, it is the people who are broken, the blind, the poor, the lame. That has always been the redemptive vision of God, to take what was the foolishness of the world and reveal his beauty and glory through it. And so I think somewhere along the line, we started thinking that church was for the polished and the polite and that it would be easy to build deep relationship. And I, I would say, and I talk about this in the book, that church is actually the hardest place to build community because when you join a softball team or when you go to a coffee shop, at the softball team, you're there to play softball. And at the coffee shop, you're there to drink coffee. So you have those hobbies that connect you. But at church, it's not your hobbies that connect you. It's actually your brokenness that connects you. And so if God's going to gather a bunch of broken people into a room, when did we start thinking it was going to be clean, right? Like it's it's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard. And so I think Christians should understand that being a part of church will be difficult and offensive and people will fail you. And the thing that knits our hearts together, the thing that makes us different than any other community is that Jesus himself entered our mess. And the one who is in the perfect, pristine, polished, beautiful position, the triune God, he entered our mess with us. And in doing so, gave us the strength 
that only he could give us. And so we have a story of grace that gives us strength to endure difficult challenge that comes with community. And so I would say just for Christians, especially Christians that are hurt, um, that hurt is real. But I would also say don't give up on community and don't give up on the gospel because it's through the hands and the face and the hearts of others that Jesus is going to come to you. And so even though church will fail you, that's a that's a that's a foregone conclusion. Uh, the gospel won't. And God will use broken people to help heal your brokenness. And so when we isolate, I think we end up missing out. You know, like the the, the cover of uh, the book, um, the word sacred is really beautiful and clean. It's in white. And then the word us is scribbled and messy and black. And, and, and that's supposed to say something. It's supposed to say, hey, listen, Jesus is sacred and that's beautiful. And us is messy. And so we should actually anticipate that as we engage in Christian community. I'm shutting down all of the fear that has kept me from running into the unknown. I know every time that I go through the fire, you're burning the dross from the gold. I hear your voice quietly. family maintain that stamina the endurance and the love to keep going in this in this community in this church environment yeah, that is a great question you know i think um i think it's all about uh circles of relationship you know in uh, in one of the chapters i talk about the different circles of relationship that you need and so, you know, for us, yes, I believe in a personal relationship with Jesus. I think that's an intimate part of our lives. And so, you know, yeah, we prioritize as individuals in our family, we prioritize alone time with God as a space for fueling that relationship with him. But then beyond that, we prioritize relationship with each other. You know, my wife and I um, are really fervently, consistently uh, carving out space and time for our friendship and for our relationship. And, and we fight for that pretty, pretty consistently. And, and uh, there's no doubt in either of our minds that that is priority. And then we fight for time as a family, you know, even as a, as a pastor and a leader, one of the things we changed years ago is just in my calendar, I'm, I'm home for dinner every night, you know, that, um, that that's just a part of who we are as a family. We eat dinner together. Uh, we learn about each other's day. We engage each other in that way. And we're free in the evenings to be together. Um, 
that's some of the things. But then from there, we have a circle of about eight to 12 people who um, we would call our sacred trust. And those are the people that, you know, we've known for 20 or more years that have been on the journey with us, that I'm not Pastor Justin, I'm just a guy. And, uh, and we do life together in a very honest, authentic way um, in the good times and the bad times, you know, and, and so that, that, that little circle has been huge for us, you know, uh, just to really live it. And we've gone through trials and difficulties, but we've also fought for each other and stayed when we could have just kind of gone our separate ways. And so um, outside of that circle, we then have, you know, our church community, which is larger and, and more complex and, and each, each level doesn't get the same access. And I think people feel bad about that sometimes, but I don't think that we should, you know, you look at the life of Jesus and he had the crowds and then he had the 12 and then he had the three and then he had his best friend, John, who was the disciple Jesus loved. And so, you know, we see like even in Jesus's model of community, different levels of access. And I think that that's one of the things that's really sustained us uh, as a family because you can't be all go, you know, I mean, I think that's one of the myths of evangelical Christianity that it's like, Oh, up and to the right. It's like, no, sometimes it needs to be down and to the left. You know, sometimes it needs to be um, not up and to the right and that's okay. It doesn't always have to be go. Sometimes you have to just stay. And so we practice Sabbath. Um, We are disciplined to pause and to uh, submit to the limits God puts on our lives. And that keeps us healthy. Yeah, that's really good. You've covered so much of your book, but I know that there are seven principles in there. Can you share more about that so that people then go, oh, I clearly have to read the book now in case I wasn't already convinced? Yeah, no, for sure. You know, I think these principles, when when we say principles, what we're really talking about is just um, these are truths that are rooted in the Bible, rooted in the scripture that for us uh, became more and more clear as we practice community. And so the first principle is this idea of proximity, that there is such a power in being together. And I think that, you know, we have really... um, COVID's really stretched that and in some ways undermined it. And I'm all for all the technology we have. Thank God. Of course, we're talking through technology right now. That's awesome. But when you're going to build healthy community, you actually have to be in the shared space. And so if all your best friends are 10,000 miles away, that's going to bite you eventually. And so it's, it's great to have friends on the other side of the world, but you also need to have friends across the street, right? Uh, Solomon says better the neighbor next door than the brother far away, right? Like there's something about proximity that really does provide great opportunity. And then from there, the second principle deals with vulnerability, this idea that until you're vulnerable, you can't make deep connections. And so how do we become vulnerable? What's that process look like? Uh, I unpack that in the book. And then from there, we talk about discipleship and how discipleship sets direction, that the Christian community is different than any other community because it's a community that's aimed at the same goal goal, which is we want to become more like Christ. And so how does that make us different friends? It's not uh, that other friends are bad, but these are different friends because we are called to spur one another on. And then the fourth principle, and I won't give them all to you, but the fourth principle is one of the ones that I think is probably maybe the most absent principle in Christian circles. And it's the principle of fun, that fun amplifies grace. (laughs) And that when Christians don't know how to have fun, we actually rob the world of a picture of God's grace. And so how do we learn to have fun as followers of Jesus? And how do we learn to have fun that is actually not a hindrance to holiness, but an amplifier 
of holiness. And, uh, and so from there, I talk about mission, sacrifice, and boundaries, but each of these one builds on top of the other and on top of the other. And so, um, it's almost like ingredients in a soup as you add each of these ingredients. Um, and that's why we call it intentional community because hardly any of these happen unless I'm intentional. Uh, what you'll find is your relationships go deeper and deeper and deeper. So it's not a book about church government. It's not a book, a book about church structure. It's a book about the substance of relationships. And I think that's really what we need most in many of our churches today. myself, but I also know many people in different denominations, church expressions, journeys, who would resonate with that and love that. it. The, I don't know if it's the right way to say it, but they're like the fact that you've got these points, nearly like room to move and explore like the individual expression of your community within that using these tools. I think it's amazing. Yeah. You know, I think what I've found is um, in my own journey that like even as I reflect the, on these principles, like I was, I was recording the audio book a few months ago and I was, I was like, so, so convicted. I mean, I wrote the book, but like, there was like one chapter where I just really felt like conviction that, that this is an area I need to be more intentional with. And, and, uh, you know, that's the way it is when you're talking about God's truth, we don't arrive. It's a process. Um, but the process is, is really part of how God makes us, uh, new makes us more like him. I have a question down that I think you've half answered because you live in such a raw, intentional community that I feel like there's probably very little room for celebrity because people just know you. But something that struck me is that evangelical culture, in its bizarre way, we love material and books and videos. We love finding someone and sticking them up on a pedestal. Um, and one way it's great because we get amazing content, but it also puts people in a really vulnerable position. Um, and I imagine for you, pouring your heart and what you've learned into a book is incredible, but also carries, I would say, in a really respectful way, so much risk. Um, and, and so I would love to know for you, how do you and your family I nearly say safeguard yourself in the wake of that, knowing that you maintain your life, your values, while still, you know, living out this promise that God has called you to. 
Yeah, that's such a good question. So, you know, um, and I think in our context, you know, we're a multi-site church. And so a lot of people are hearing the the preaching um, on a screen. Right. And so um, even that has its limits and its challenges with celebrity and and people putting you on a pedestal or seeing you, um, you know, as something, you know, beyond uh just a, a regular human being. And so I think um, for me, the first thing that I'm always doing is I'm, I'm putting myself under authority. And, and so, you know, for us, we have that as an official thing with our board of directors and these types of things, but I'm also giving um, our leaders an access to me and an authority that uh, keeps us low. Like, so for example, one of the things we do is every year we have our board do like a three day deep dive uh, into my marriage, into our kids, uh, into all of the people that report to me on our team. And, and they just get full access to dig into every corner and every crevice and say, hey, where is, you know, where are the leaders uh, taking too much power? Where are they unaware of your needs? You know, and so our attitude has always been, hey, um, if we can stay low. Another thing that I know it sounds ridiculous, but um, money's a big deal. And for us, you know, I don't I don't want to have access to the money of our church. So I don't you know, I don't have access to, uh, you know, I think I have like a I don't know, a couple hundred dollar limit on my card that I have, you know, like I don't have access to the, you know, all the books that we sell at our church all the revenue goes back to the church, right? And then we've committed that, you know, any books that we sell outside our church, we give 55% back to our church. And so for us, like, it's not been about money. It really hasn't. The church makes way more money on the book than than I do. And, and I share that because those are real issues. And like, if you don't have real answers, things get weird. And so for us, like, we've just said, hey, this is about him. And if we, if we don't really make it about Jesus, um, power, money, pleasure, these are the danger zones that I think we've seen again and again and again, church leaders fall into. And so, you know, giving people access to ask hard questions, um, that's been our story. And, and, you know, and, and then giving like, like our, our board, you know, they have, they have the financial strings. I don't. And, and, and staying there, I'm okay with that. Like we started this church with nine of us in my living room. And yet now I have, I don't have that, the type of, you know, kind of uh, flexibility I used to have. And that's okay. That's okay. And I think that, you know, for church leaders, we we're in a season of ministry where it's like, you got to be willing to submit yourself to authority or things are going to get really weird, really fast. And so um, I think the other thing that is just really important is um, do you, do you want celebrity? And I think that that's something that pastors and leaders really need to wrestle through because, you know, in my own journey, I want to leverage my moment for God's glory yeah, like Paul said, like, yeah, you've got to use the gifts you have. Jesus told us the parable of the talents. I want to be faithful with what he's given me. Um, but that can be a dangerous excuse to put people's eyes on you. And so I think for Christians, um, you know, like one of the things that Chrissy and I do, my wife and I, like we lead a small group in our home that's almost all new believers. Uh, I lead what we call a core group. It's five guys, all of them in their young, t- early 20s, except me, Um talking about struggles, talking about issues. These gatherings 
ground us back to the real thing, you know? And, and so, um, I think for larger churches and for pastors, if you're not doing those things, accountability, dealing with money questions, um, you know, it's coming for you. It's going to be a problem. Yeah. that so honestly and not actually being afraid to answer it either because i know that could be a heavy question oh no it's the real deal you know it's it's the real deal and and uh yeah i think that church leaders have not answered it for too long to be honest um they're my set questions i have one more just to tie everything up but is there anything else that you wanted to mention or talk about before we finish up yeah you know i would i would just say jessica that i think um I think that for too long, Christians have not known how to do deep relationship. And so my encouragement would be, uh, make this a priority. Make learning deep relationship a priority, because if we don't know how to do it, uh, we're going to rob ourselves of God's primary tool of transformation in our lives. And so that was why I wrote this book. That's why uh, I wanted to offer this as hopefully a compelling carrot to get people to actually pursue this far beyond this book into God's word, into community together and engage in the mess. It is going to be hard and it is going to make you more like Jesus than anything else you will do. And so um, I just would urge people that uh, community, you know, you think about God himself who is Father, Son, and Spirit. That's the Orthodox Christian doctrine that we believe that God is not more three than he is one and not more one than he is three. One in essence, three in spirit. If that's true, then the center of the universe, which is God, is relationship. And so if that's central to the nature of God, it has to be central to our lives. And I don't think that many Christians make Christian community central. I think it's oftentimes in the peripheral. And that's, that's part of the problem. That's challenging, but really good. Yeah. It is challenging for me too. My last question for you, if you could go back to the day before you and your wife decided to hold some sort of, you know, Christian gathering in your house and it turned into this Vox church, amazingly, what would you say to yourself knowing what you know now? Oh, that is a good question. Um. Yeah, I think I would, I think I would, um, I think I would tell my 
younger, stupider self uh, to take all take take the big steps of faith. And and I would tell myself that um, it is definitely going to be more painful than you think, but we have to we have to abandon the theology that says that pain should be avoided at all costs. Because Paul made it really clear that this momentary light affliction is storing up for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. And so it's through the pain that God cultivates the fullness of his promise in our lives. And so uh, I would tell myself to take the big steps of faith and don't, don't be surprised and don't run from the pain because, um, you know, this is how Jesus changed the world. It was on the cross. And so, um, we shouldn't expect anything different in our lives. That's probably what I would tell myself. Cause, uh, I think in those early days I had big faith, but I also had an avoidance of, uh, of pain that, uh, I've learned, I've learned more and more to lean into rather than away from. conversation right the part that got me the most like I like chatting to Justin I got a good vibe of him straight away for lack of a better term um but what got me the most was how it was so abundantly clear that he and his family not just him alone but you know his wife his kids have made a decision to actually like bear the cost bear the weight of living in Christ-centered community like to the extent that they're like, okay, we're going to invite people into our home or like we, we're going to look at fostering and eventually adoption. Um, and I know that's not practical for everybody. How we all live out the love of Jesus, love of others will look different. And there are different, so many different dynamics and things to consider in that situation. So please don't think I'm thinking, saying you have to go and live out Christ-centered community in this way. What I appreciate about Justin is that it's so clear that he is, he was living out what he's preaching before he preached it, if that makes any sense. The, the acts and, and the words and his belief come together in one. There's not a question of whether he's just saying something and doing another thing. Um, and I think 
while there are many, many people in church, some who are pastors, who are living that out, who are marrying the words with the works and with their belief, what we hear about in the news is pastors who aren't, right? And what many of us have experienced is pastors or people in leadership who haven't. Um, again, and not calling out anyone in particular in my life or in general, just a broad statement, right? There's a really big distrust of church in many people right now. And it's distrust I've struggled with my whole life. You just have to listen to the last 125 episodes to hear that. So that's not news. What I appreciate about Justin is that he's not claiming to be the leader in this, but he's sharing what he's learned. And for me, it's abundantly clear that he couldn't do this without the rest of his team, without his wife, without his kids. Like what they've done is huge. It is not easy. It is there's no glamorous, shiny, polished version of doing community and living and loving like Jesus in community ever. We, we we can do the beautiful things. We can sing the songs and we can praise and we will have beautiful, beautiful moments. They're like the things that really make it worth it, like that we sort of go, oh, yeah, that's it. But, I mean, what we see on Instagram and what we hear about and the idea of community just being what we see on a stage with like Christian influences with the lights and the kicks and and all of those things like that's so that's like worlds away from what it actually means to live and embody Christ it's not to say people can't live like Christ and and still own the shoes and be on the stage but it's just they're so like our live reality is so different to often what we see Christian culture the, the, the disparity is so big in, in evangelical circles. It feels like for me. And so when you see them come together, when you see that this messy, complicated, but beautiful and hard-fought for community has come together um, and, and that, you know, in different lives it's coming together, that's really cool. And that's something I really respect. So thank you so much for your time, Justin. Thank you for continuing to choose to live this out. Big shout out to your family as well. Friends, you can connect with Justin Kendrick right now. Go and get his book, The Sacred Us, available at all, I think in America, like good bookshops, right? In Australia, you will have to get it online or like at a Christian bookshop. Um, But you get the vibe. Just like search it online, see where The Sacred Us is or order it in and go get it great. Um, You can also connect with Justin on Instagram at Pastor Justin Kendrick. Kendrick is K-E-N-D-R-I-C-K. His official website for the book is thesacredus.com. If you like any of the tracks on today's show, just check the show notes. They are all listed there. In addition to all these links to Justin's social media, his work, his book, all of those fun things so you can connect with them. Uh, That is all I have for this episode. Thank you, my friends, for joining me. Thank you for waiting with beta breath for Leland, for Matt Redman, for for people that I'm so excited to chat to. Those episodes will be coming in the next few weeks when the scheduling happens. Uh, also, in fun news, I'm actually heading to Nashville very soon. My first time in however many years has it been with COVID? Three years? Four years? I can't tell. Um, but all going well. I am going to be there around Dove Awards time, um, which I know people have mixed feelings about, but I'm excited to get a chance to catch up with some of our friends who have been on the show. Um, and also just to go back to my second home and have Nashville coffee. And I don't know, just, 
I, I miss Nashville so much and I'm so excited to go back. So please keep your eye out on Instagram and social media and stuff for a few updates here and there. If I happen to see a friend, I might share a picture or two. Um, and I am very hopeful that I'll have some coverage of the Dove Awards for you too. No promises, but I am very, very hopeful. Um, it's also my first time red carpet reporting. So, you know, fun and games every day I'm doing it. Uh, it's going to be good. If you haven't subscribed, please go and do that. And uh, consider giving us a rating on Apple iTunes, the store, the podcast, you know, that stuff. Uh, it's really handy. And especially it doesn't matter what country you're in because it shows up, your rating will show up on your country's page. And I know that we have friends across the world. Um, so please, yeah, feel free, leave a review. English, go for it. But if your native tongue is different, go for your life. I, I will use Google Translate to feel hopefully the encouragement that you leave behind. We'll find out. This could bite me in the butt. That's all. My name is Jessica Morris. I will see you soon, soon for another episode with a fantastic artist. Until then, here's to hope. I'm walking through the valley of dark shadows Even when I'm overwhelmed beneath the weight of sorrow Even when I can't outrun my fears And every other hope has disappeared I'm not alone I'm not alone I've still got Jesus, oh, I've still got Jesus, closer than a brother, no matter where I am. When I need an ally in the fight, and need to know somebody's on my side, He always steps in, I've always got a friend. Take away all of the things down here I treasure You can leave me nothing but the breath inside my lungs Still I know that I'd have everything I can lift my empty hands and sing At the end of the day With joy I can say Still got Jesus, oh I still got Jesus closer than a brother. No matter where I am, when I need it, I'll in the fight and need to know somebody's on my side. He always steps in. No matter